0: Welcome to the Factual Forecast, a look at the week's biggest stories and what they mean from the editors at Factual. I'm Jimmy Levis. Today is September 21st, and in this week's forecast, we've got a ceasefire in Nagorno-Karabakh, the Asian Games in China, a hearing for former Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan, a Republican presidential debate in California, and pro-reform demonstrations in Colombia. You can also read about these stories and more in our weekly newsletter, which you'll find a link to in the show notes. But first, we'll take a look at the conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenian separatists. For more on that, I've got the lead for our Europe desk, Alex Moore. Hi, Alex.
1: Hello, Jimmy.
0: You know, Alex, it's been more than a year since you were here talking about the situation in Nagorno-Karabakh, and it seems that things have suddenly gotten worse. But before we get into the latest, can you give us a bit of a recap on the situation?
1: Yes, uh, happily. Um Well, obviously, last time we talked, there was a massive eruption along the Armenian state border with Azerbaijan last year. And since then, there's been the imposition of a blockade on the Armenian-backed Artsakh Republic in Nagorno-Karabakh. But on Tuesday of this week, uh, Azerbaijan launched renewed military operations targeting Artsakh forces uh, in Nagorno-Karabakh. And again, we have to distinguish between the Armenian state border and fighting happening there between Armenia and Azerbaijan and fighting between the Artsakh Republic and Azerbaijani forces in Nagorno-Karabakh so this was the latter taking place uh over the past 24 hours as we record this on Wednesday um so this was a significant uptick in fighting and featured the first sort of systemic targeting deep within Artsakh including the capital, Stepanakert, uh, which was heavily bombarded during the Six-Week War of 2020. Um, so this was the first time that we've seen systemic targeting like that deeper into Artsakh and not just surrounding the Lachine Corridor area, which was the main fighting hotspot uh, when we did see flare-ups over the past three years since the conclusion of the war in November of 2020.
0: Well, what's the latest then? How are things looking at the moment?
1: Yeah, uh, so after... 24 hours of pretty intense fighting uh, in Nagorno-Karabakh. A ceasefire was reached uh, earlier today on Wednesday, um, which was tantamount basically to Artsakh surrendering to broad and sweeping uh, Azerbaijani demands. So they acquiesced to um, some pretty significant demands. Uh, They have essentially agreed to disarm their army within Artsakh and starting tomorrow on thursday they will engage in a series of talks with azerbaijan regarding integration of nagorno-karabakh into the azerbaijani state um and just a brief note it it is internationally recognized as uh, azerbaijani territory the nagorno-karabakh region is within the state borders of azerbaijan but um Obviously, as we talked about at length in the past, there have been a couple of wars fought over the status of Nagorno Karabakh since the Soviet Empire dissolved. Um, so the latest is that today, Artsakh authorities did acquiesce to some very broad demands and they agreed to fully disarm.
0: What have the reactions to the situation been like?
1: Uh, domestically in Armenia, the reactions have been pretty visceral and intense. Um, for those that remember, in 2020, when the six-week war ended, there were very intense protests in Yerevan. Those uh, last night we saw not that scale of protests, but similar ones. And today we've seen more. And it's possible, if not likely, that we'll continue to see protests against the Pashinyan government um, that made the decision not to intervene on behalf of their Artsakh allies. I suppose in Nagorno-Karabakh. So Armenia set this one out. Um, under the terms of the 2020 ceasefire, Armenia removed their forces from Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, so they decided not to intervene militarily, which has been, um, a controversial decision within Armenia. Moreover, in Yerevan, we've seen a significant uptick in anti-Russian sentiment. Armenia is part of the CSTO Alliance, which is the Russia, Russia led, uh, post-Cold war sort of, um, counterweight to NATO basically. and Russia sort of infamously chose not to intervene on behalf of Armenia during the 2020 war. They did position a few thousand peacekeepers in Nagorno-Karabakh following the conclusion of that war. And those peacekeepers have been accused of spotty at best um implementation of the peace treaties terms. And so we've seen um anti-Russian sentiment sort of run amok in Yerevan over the past 24 hours, which has sort of been exacerbated by the fact that Russia has taken um an extremely peculiar uh neutral if not in some ways pro-Azerbaijan line regarding the past 24 hours of fighting which has just sort of been further continuation of a phenomenon that we've witnessed over the past year or so of Armenia sort of repositioning its alliance system to the west uh with countries like France and U.S. becoming more uh heavily involved um from a pro-Armenian alongside countries like Iran to sort of further meddle the the famously peculiar alliance system that characterizes the uh, Armenia-Azerbaijan conflict. But um, Israel and Turkey remain steadfast behind Azerbaijan, and the international and domestic reactions have sort of been a continuation of what we've been observing over the past year.
0: Well, considering all of that, what do you think folks should be watching for next then?
1: Uh, Yeah, a few things. Um, First and foremost, the most pressing concern at the moment is the status of uh, the approximately 120,000 ethnic Armenians that live in Nagorno-Karabakh. I think I mentioned this at the start of the podcast today, that obviously the region has been under blockade by Azerbaijani forces for going on almost a year. The blockade began in December of last year. Um, So the sole road that connects Armenia with Artsakh, the Yulachin Corridor, has been blockaded ever since. So um, essentially there are 120,000 ethnic Armenians that are basically now trapped with no way to get out. The single airport in Stepanakert is not functioning. It acts essentially as a Russian airbase at the moment. Um, So there are no flights in and out. And obviously we'll see how this plays out. But um, sort of the fear is that we will see Sort of a um, a forced mass expulsion, a mass exodus or evacuation, however you want to characterize it, of uh, the ethnic Armenians that are living within Nagorno Karabakh, and the further fear might be that Azerbaijan proceeds to replace them with Azerbaijanis. We don't know exactly how that will play out yet. That will be determined over the course of the talks that I mentioned are due to start tomorrow. Moreover, um, in that same vein. We don't yet know exactly the sequencing of how Artsakh's forces will disarm themselves and at what cadence Azerbaijan's forces will enter into the areas that remain under Artsakh control under the terms of the 2020 ceasefire, uh, most notably, obviously, Stepan Um, But with Azerbaijan in control of Shusha, down the Lachin corridor, and taking control of more strategic heights over the past 24 hours, it remains to be seen how soon we'll see azerbaijani forces advancing into Stepanakert, and at what cadence there will be if there is sort of a organized forced evacuation of the ethnic armenians there there remain questions regarding how that will play out um as well as the integration of the nagorno-karabakh region as a whole into azerbaijan proper so definitely a lot to watch for over the next couple of days and weeks likely but um Yeah, extremely momentous occasion in in the Caucasus. Um, Obviously, like I said, there have been multiple wars fought over the status of Nagorno-Karabakh. So um, this marks uh, sort of a massive, massive bellwether in the the history of the region.
0: Well, I suppose we'll pause there then. But thank you so much for getting us caught up to speed. Quite the concerning situation.
1: Yeah, uh, no worries. Thanks for having me.
0: Take care. The opening ceremony for the Asian Games is this Saturday in Hangzhou, China. The Games were originally planned for last September, but were postponed due to pandemic travel restrictions. North Korea is even participating after largely abstaining from international sports since the beginning of the pandemic. Now, while the Games don't officially open until Saturday, the competition has already started for several sports, including soccer, volleyball, and cricket. Esports are also set to make a historic debut as a medal event of the Games, possibly paving the way toward Olympic recognition. Former Prime Minister Imran Khan will face Pakistan's electoral regulator on Tuesday. He will be disputing a charge of breaching the Official Secrets Act, the latest in a litany of legal cases against the former prime minister and PTI party leader. Khan is accused of leaking a diplomatic cable which his party claims contains details of U.S. support for a no-confidence vote to oust him from power back in 2022. After the document was published by U.S. news outlet The Intercept, Khan was charged and questioned at a jail in a talk where he was detained on separate corruption charges. Khan says the document is no longer in his possession, while his party is seeking to question the legitimacy of his detention by discrediting the Official Secrets Act. Now, Tuesday's trial is expected to take place in jail in attic as Khan remains there in pretrial detention. While the prison sentence for corruption was overturned, his conviction stands leading the Election Commission to ban him from seeking office for five years. Pakistan is due to hold national elections in November. Still, they are likely to be delayed given a lack of organization by the caretaker government, Khan's ongoing legal troubles, and a national economic crisis. The U.S. Republican Party will hold its second debate among presidential hopefuls on Wednesday. The debate will be at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. It comes a month after the first GOP debate in late August, in which eight presidential primary candidates took the stage, with the notable exception of heavy polling favorite Donald Trump. Participation thresholds for this debate are higher than the first, which will likely slightly limit the number of people on stage, though it remains unclear who exactly will qualify. Now, as with the first debate, former President Trump is expected to skip it in order to hold his own counterprogramming, coinciding with it this time speaking in Detroit to union workers. The decision to speak with union workers in Michigan is indicative of the extent to which the Trump campaign is ignoring the primary and looking ahead to a rematch with President Joe Biden. Thousands of people will take to the streets across Colombia on Wednesday, that ahead of next month's regional elections. As you may recall, Colombia elected Gustavo Petro, its first leftist president, in June of 2022. And earlier this year, he announced a package of controversial reforms to the country's health, education, and labor systems. He has called them ways to fight inequality and poverty in the country. Since then, Congress has stalled the proposed reforms. Last week, the Minister of Labor asked people to march in Bogota and call for the reforms to be put in place. The teachers' union has already announced it would take part. Now, after a progressive wave put Petro into office, his momentum has slowed down. Recent polls have put his disapproval rating near 60% thanks in part to a campaign finance scandal involving his son. That son, also a politician, admitted to taking thousands of dollars from a convicted drug trafficker and funneling some of it into his father's presidential campaign without his knowledge. If voters ignore the scandal and the marches have large turnouts, it may encourage lawmakers to move forward with the reforms. Of course, if they fizzle, and may give Petra's opponents more reason to fight back against the proposed reforms. As always, thank you for listening to the Factual Forecast. We publish our forward-looking podcast and newsletter each Thursday to help you get a jumpstart on the week ahead. Please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcasts. And we'd love it if you'd consider telling a friend about us. Today's episode was produced with work from Factual editors Vivian Wang, Sophie Perrier, Alex Moore, and Jeff Lanson. Our interview featured editor Alex Moore, and the podcast is produced and edited by me, Jimmy Lovis. Our music comes courtesy of Andrew Gosby. Until next time, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or events we've missed, drop us a note by emailing hello at factual.com.